Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. I was defending Steve Clifford. <laughs> Steve Clifford, I think he did a great job. You sound just like that guy. It's Wes. He's going to uh, ask you to come and do press conferences for him just behind a black curtain so he doesn't have to do it. And Walker. I like Clifford, the, the big red dog. It was my favorite childhood <laughs> book, Getting in Shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> I like dogs in general. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. That was- is a good book. Panther Bo with a great text on Carolina Men's Clinic text line. The Santa Clauses suck stale, gluten-free hamburger buns. Michael, the 49er fan, said, man, I was wishing Die Hard was in there so everyone could argue about it being a Christmas movie or not. Most people are asking that question on the text line, too. I don't want to do the like that was already a cliche radio topic. We can't go all the way into is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a big fan of Die Hard. I'd never rank it when I'm doing a Christmas movies uh, list. And uh, Mm -hmm. Panther Bo, after that text about the Santa Claus's trilogy. Not only am I glad that I cursed Purdue last year. Oh, no. I picked Purdue to make the Final Four again this year. Cannot mm-hmm. wait till Matt Painter fails again in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Chadillac wrote in, you must be an out-of-touch boomer like Chevy Chase to hate a Christmas story. Go back to Dallas heel slurper. All right, I like that, Chadillac. Wow, I got really personal. Going back to Dallas. Uh, we're continuing to scroll on the text line. Big Cat Dan loves when the kid's tongue gets stuck to the pole on a Christmas story. Yeah, that's Schwartz. Schwartz, man. Well, it's not Schwartz. It's uh, it's Flick. Flick gets his tongue stuck to the pole, and that's what's really tough during wintertime. Uh, AC says die hard in Christmas vacation. Mr. Research is mad at me, though. He said someone slapped Walker for that take on the Santa Claus. Worst take I've ever heard on the radio. Let me get that neck. Someone give the guy a timeout for the Santa Claus take. And then text in the city said, Mama got to stop smoking them reds. <laughs> Mama doesn't smoke anything except smoking that spin. Yeah, the, the impression, I guess, is what made text yeah, in the city oh, write if, that. If she were to hear the impression, she would disown me. I'm sure she would. That's not, <laughs> it's not good. It's but, not endearing. No, you it's know. really not. All right, make sure you join me, Walker Mail, Colin Hoggard, and Josh Fitty Marlowe tonight at 7.30 to cheer on the Charlotte Hornets as they take on the Miami Heat. Thanks to the fine folks at Michelob Ultra, we're inviting you to a watch party at the Carolina Ale House, Waverly location, 7404 Waverly Walk Avenue, 7404 Waverly Walk Avenue, Charlotte. That's the WFNZ Michelob Ultra watch party tonight at 730 Carolina Ale House, Waverly location. Flounder got mad at me because I didn't shout him out, but he's going to be there too. Shroppy's going to be there. I think a few people are going to be there hanging out with us. I've already seen quite a few texts telling us they're going to be making their way to the Carolina Ale House tonight. Also, hopefully the Charlotte Hornets can reward us all with a win the second time they play the Heat this week. Time now for the Live Wire with Josh Fitty Marlowe. Live wires on the team connect. Get respect for their realness. I know you feel this. The east to the west, up north to the down south. Live wires connect. Just got this tweet from the Carolina Panthers. Brian Burns did not practice today. So Chris Tabor will meet with the media roughly around 3 o'clock. We'll get an update on Brian Burns' status for 
this week's game for the Panthers. Speaking of the Panthers, got some audio we're going to play, including the former head coach of the Panthers, Matt Rule, who's in Nebraska now, you know, shucking corn and losing football games like he did here in Carolina. He joined the Pat McAfee show. He shuck corn here in Carolina, too? Oh, I don't know. All right. I wouldn't doubt it. But he said during his time with the organization, the Panther players, well, they don't want to buy into the college guy. We haven't brought it up yet, you know, because you're at Nebraska. You never going back to the NFL, you think? Never? I, I, you know, the hardest thing about being an NFL head coach coming from college is that you're coming from college. Like, I would do, like, you know, you start off and you do something. And they're like, oh, this college guy, even though you, even though you took it from Coach Coughlin, who's a Hall of Famer, you're like, that guy's, I mean, like, like uh, Pat Stewart, who I think AJ might know from Ohio State, Pat had been at, Pat had been in New England, he'd be like, hey, this is a great idea, or Matt Lombardi, like, hey, we did this with, uh, Brian Flores, and you do it, and everyone's like, oh, this college guy, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my idea, but. Hey, Matt, whenever you give players uh, the way of the Panther, and you compare an NFL franchise to a Pepsi can, or just the idea of Pepsi, how do you expect grown men to buy in? And go back to what Ben Hartsock said to us back in the 1 o'clock hour about, you know, some people don't think that NFL players are the smartest bunch in the world, but they can smell BS when, when there is BS. That's all Matt Rule is. Well, and Matt Rule also brought not only so many people from the college staff and, you know, having Phil Snow a part of it, everything was college, right? It was Matt Rule as the head coach. It was Phil Snow who had experience in the NFL and actually, I think, did a pretty nice job with the defense. There were some problems there, but I liked Phil Snow enough for what he was here doing um, on the defensive side of the ball. You also have Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator. That might not have been Matt Rule's call. Feels like David Tepper really wanted Joe Brady fresh off of the championship that he helped LSU win along with Joe Burrow. But yeah, it feels like a lot of those players did not like the college way that Matt Rule was running not only practice, training camp, but also just the DBO signs everywhere. That's what made it feel very college-y. Even if, I, I don't know if Tom Coughlin gave them the DBO sign idea. Maybe no, there's some other ideas. middle finger when they did something wrong. Yeah, Tom Coughlin. I was about to say, Tom Coughlin, a little scary if you're taking ideas from him. Because yes, he might have won a couple of Super Bowls, and that's important. But also there's some stuff that the players didn't really like with Tom Coughlin either. Yeah, I mean, look, there's only so many Jimmy Johnsons and, like, and Pete Carroll's. Like, that's why they're few and far between. Not many coaches excel at the college level, go up a level, and win at the, the same level they won in college. It's it's hard. I, I I think college coaches, I think, you know, Brad Stevens proves to the NBA. I think you can go from college basketball to the NBA. It's still hard. It's still yeah. hard, but I, I, I think it's an easier transition from going to college football to the NFL. I wonder if when you're in college, if you're almost a player coach in college to where you don't, you're not the dictator of sorts. Can you make that jump? Because Matt Rule does have so much control over everything. And there was those reports, too, that he even had some control over what was released on social media. Yeah. I, I mean, even telling people what to do that would allow information to get outside of the locker room. Everything was so in-house. And I, I get that from a lot of different coaches. I know everybody else doesn't want all of their business to be out there in the streets like that. Yet it he just allowed, felt like Matt Rule had a lot of control. Yet he allowed the video of his butt crack being exposed while showing the defensive line of drill to be out there. Everything else we kept in house, but that he wanted to make sure we saw. I don't think him. <laughs> I really hope he didn't want to make sure that we saw his butt crack. What you got, Fiddy? All right. Well, Matt Rule's not the only one that said something that caught some headlines in Pantherland. 
So did Cam Newton, former quarterback here in Carolina on his podcast, Fourth and One. He had this to say about game managers in the NFL and, and identified some really good QBs along the way. He's managing the game. And if we were to put that in its own right as game managers, Brock, Parody, Tua Tonga Valoa, Jared Goff, and really Dak Prescott. Mm. These are game managers. They're, they're not difference makers. And when you say game manager, I'm not asking you to go out and win the game. I'm just asking you not to lose. Not to lose the game. That's, listen, motherfucker. I don't give a damn what you do. You don't have to score every time. You just don't have to throw a pick every time either. If we're going to really call a spade a spade, a game manager is different than a game changer. I'll go ahead and let the people know whenever Wes Bryant comes back, he's already called a foul line trip on himself. So whenever Wes is back on the mic, we're going to the foul line because Cam took a shot at Brock Purdy. Although I don't think Cam's wrong about Brock being a game manager and a system quarterback. Oh, no. Yeah. Here's the problem, though. He's going to be very mad at you. Is that like you identified with Dak, with Tua, with, and I mean, and I would still put Jared Goff, three of the top 12 quarterbacks in the NFL. Brock's in there, but like Brock, a lot of it is like you're playing with all pros at every position. We haven't seen you do it somewhere else with less talent. But I don't see how you watch what Tua's doing, what Dak is doing now in his third different in his third different play caller, mind you, in Dallas, and what Jared Goff is doing in Detroit, and and identify them as game managers. They are elite quarterbacks. That is what they are. I don't know how many game managers are in playoff position right now as we head to the home stretch of the NFL season. Yeah, you can be a system QB and be very successful and still be a game manager, but also I don't think any of the QBs that he said there. I think, I mean, the closest one in my opinion, I don't know. Jared Goff is probably the closest in my opinion. I know people hate that. I know I, Wes would like, be angry how, with me. How do you get to that? Like when you look at what his numbers have been in Detroit without Sean McVay and not the because skill position talent he had in L.A. Well, he still has very good skill position he, talent. He does. Though. And also he's got maybe the best offensive line in all of football, at least a top three unit. And you're also talking about him struggling mightily whenever he faces pressure, which is why Detroit's offense hasn't been clicking at a high enough rate. If you can get past that offensive line, which is an often then I think you can bother him. But Jared Goff, I know Wes would be listening and telling me that I am mad, disrespecting Goff right now. I still think he's had a very good year. Like, he's still a good QB. With Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy is, especially this game, man. Like, I, two games ago, when Brock had a bunch of touchdown passes, I think he had four touchdown passes, and all of them, all of the work was done by the wide receiver where Debo went crazy, and Debo broke a million tackles to get to the end zone on two separate occasions. Jawan Jennings close to the left sideline. That was Jawan making all of the moves to get to the end zone. You go to this last game, Brock was throwing it downfield and making some really nice throws. I'm going to give him that. I mean, you talk about the air yards on some of his throws, layering it in over the linebackers, underneath the defensive back, perfect throw to George Kittle, and then Kittle did the rest with his yak ability. Debo Samuel, down the field. That was a perfect throw from Brock Purdy to Debo down the field. And I think Brock Purdy is not a QB that Kyle Shanahan is is afraid to let throw the football in crucial moments. He absolutely was with Jimmy Garoppolo. Scared to death to let that guy lose them the game. And so Brock Purdy isn't out here losing on his own. The thing about Brock is, with San Francisco being so good, 
you have to wonder how they play if they're down. You don't see it a lot of times without the lead. And then so when they play with the lead, it makes them that much harder to defend because you can't throw these high completion percentage passes. And then they can just take it to the house because all of those guys break so many tackles, including Christian McCaffrey. I don't think Brock Purdy is in game manager mode. I think he's more than that. The most ridiculous one is Dak. I'm sorry. Dak is throwing it downfield. He's maneuvering in the pocket. He's going out there and helping this team win games rather than quote unquote not lose. Are you kidding me? I mean, how about at the end of the first half when he drills that ball into Brandon Cooks between the numbers and sets them up at the one yard line? That's not a game manager throw. That's not, oh, let's just make sure we throw dink and dunk 10 yards within the line of scrimmage. Now, Dak is out here throwing bombs to C.D. Lamb, throwing past the 20 yards of the line of scrimmage. Dak, there's no way in hell he should be anywhere close to game manager mode. Well, I mean, when you look at Dak, three different play callers, Scott Linehan, Kellen Moore, now Mike McCarthy. He's put up ridiculous numbers with three different guys. While the skill while the skill position talent has changed, Des Bryant, CeeDee Lamb, Zeke Elliott no longer there. The offensive line has changed. You know, you've lost your right tackle. You've lost your center. He's still putting up numbers. I know people are pulling up Tua, struggling without Tyreek and how he fell apart. But how much of that is the way that that offense is designed where he's a big part of what they do? Like, And, and look, that defense had a 14-point lead with three minutes to go and lost the game. So as much as you want to talk about them, the offense not putting the game away, the defense let a rookie quarterback come back from a two-possession game in the in the closing minutes to win the game. So I, I, to me, like Cam, this is why we like Cam, though, right, is because he's going to give us something every week, every other week to talk about because the guy's opinionated, and this one is just, well, a bad opinion. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course I love Cam. He, he and Julius Peppers, I'll tell you, are probably my two favorite NFL players of all time. Watching both of them, those are my favorite guys. I even like Cam in this media space. I think he's very good at it. Yeah, this take for me... I, you know, Stanford P said that he's jealous. I don't, I don't know how much of this is jealousy or envy or anything like that. I, it feels like the other times he's talked about him not being in the NFL. Yeah, but this was Cam when he was right. talking about him. Tell me how these randoms keep getting jobs. It's very true. Yeah. But what I'll tell you is it's not like Brock Purdy is a random. I mean, well, Brock Purdy drafted as a random, but he's not playing like one. Dak Prescott's not a random anymore. Tua is not a random. And so he can be angry about not having a backup QB spot somewhere. I understand that. But, I mean, right now, is Cam doing what Dak Prescott is doing with Dallas? Is he doing that with what Tua's doing? I Even Jared Goff? Yeah, man. I, I love Cam. Love him. He's dead wrong about this. You want to finish up with one more soundbite? All right. So we know that the Bill Belichick rumors, they're only going to continue to heat up as his uh, future in New England comes into question. And yesterday, Tom Curran joined a CBS Sports and NBC Sports in Boston and said the decision on Belichick, well, it was made after the Germany game two months ago. When they came out of Germany, conversations I had that week made it very clear that a decision was made and they were going to play out the string and at the end of the year there would be a parting of the ways for a variety of reasons i think and i wasn't told this specifically but the main one being you don't fire bill belichick during the season 
It's just not going to happen. Additionally, though, he's an asset. He's under contract for another year, which we reported after ESPN or NFL media reported there was a long-term extension in place that would keep Bill locked up long-term. It's only through next year. So that would not be an impediment to them changing course. And it had gone too far. The Germany game, the Commanders game, the Saints game. All huge marquee games, and then there was a Chargers game after that. Just because they won last week in Pittsburgh in prime time, I don't think it quells anything. Are you prepared for more Bill Belichick, Dave Tepper discourse as this coaching search ramps up as the regular season comes to an end? You're going to be able to do both sides of the impression with both of those guys talking to one another as we get closer and closer to the coach hiring cycle because this is only going to ramp up. He's going to get one, two interviews. And you know Bill Belichick is going to be a finalist. I don't care if he has a Shane Steichen style of interview where apparently it doesn't go well. Bill Belichick is going to get two cracks at this thing because of his success. All he has to do is walk into the room and tell you, yeah, I'm Bill Belichick. Oh, good point. We'll give you another interview, even if it doesn't mean he gets the job. So this is going to ramp up as we get closer to them deciding who the next head coach is going to be. I don't think he would get it over a Ben Johnson if Ben Johnson was indeed interested. But now that Bill Belichick is heavily expected to be out of the Patriots organization, Ross Tucker talked about it when we were up in Boston for the Army-Navy game. Lots of people think this thing absolutely has a chance to happen. I feel like, and I'm requesting on air, I get a whole segment where I get to do the Dave Tepper interview of Bill Belichick. I cannot imagine our program director would allow that. A whole segment? Well, I mean, like, you know, we, a we, lot. we got eight-minute segments. I, I know, eight minutes. Hey, you're saying eight minutes? Would, yeah, that's just only eight minutes. Well, I mean, like, you know, you know you, one of y'all could be Scott Fitterer. One of y'all could be, <laughs> you know, I mean, one of y'all could be Nicole Tepper. The, the all, One of the other, you know, decision makers that'll be a part of this decision while uh, Daddy Warbucks interviews Bill Belichick. All right, I'll think about it. We'll think about it during the break. We'll come back. <laughs> we'll actually talk a little more about David Tepper. How big of an offseason is this for the Panthers owner? Maybe we sprinkle in a little Hornets conversation, too. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Fitty helping us out today. The co-host chair also producing the show. Doing the dynamic work that he always does and we appreciate it. One thing that we've had way too many topics about, way too many debates about, it's the fact that we constantly, every single offseason, ask, is it this person's biggest offseason to perform? Is this the most pressure that this GM, this owner, this player is under in their 
tenure at the at the job like David Tepper we have this question once more how big of an offseason is this for David Tepper we had this question last year we had this question two years ago it just continues every offseason is huge for David Tepper as he continues to pile up on the losing seasons and yet the reason that the question is relevant is because of course this one's even bigger than the one prior because now you gotta fix the mess that you created in the past offseason and so what kind of undertaking is this for David Tepper and whoever the general manager is going to be, whoever you employ at a front office position? There are a lot of mistakes to correct. Having the draft capital be with the Chicago Bears right now. Having a quarterback that doesn't look great. Trying to figure out what you're going to do with Brian Burns. There are a lot of things that the Carolina Panthers need to fix. And so I want to go to Randy Mueller, former NFL GM of the Saints, also the Miami Dolphins back in his days working in the NFL. He joined the Kyle Bailey show yesterday, and there is lots of very good sound from a former GM that we want to bring back. And so with everything that the Panthers need to fix, finding your next head coach has to be towards the top of the list. Here's Randy Mueller talking about some of the top coaching candidates and if maybe some of them don't want anything to do with Tepper, given the M.O. that we've learned about via athletic articles and other reports out there on I do think, not necessarily because they fired Frank, but the actions sometime of, of the ownership may persuade certain people, if they have other options, to take the job in the future. They'll always find someone to take the job. That's not a problem. But if a person has options, I think they're going to do their research. They're going to find out, can the owner help me? And I'm for, I'm for owners being involved. Don't get me wrong. I like that. I've been pushed by the best of them. Shoot, I, Paul Allen knew nothing about football when he bought the team in Seattle, and he became one, one guy that I could lean on forever, and it was awesome. They have, they have knowledge that you can gain from them, but it's just got to be used in the right way. And if it's not, then when people do have options, they may go elsewhere because they don't think it makes sense. I heard him yesterday also say that David Tepper isn't asking the right questions. And that if he was asking the right questions, he might get the right answers. But if he's not doing that, then you continue to be led astray or lead yourself astray. We go back to that soundbite. It's overplayed, but I think it's the best example of David Tepper being way too hands-on. It's him appearing from behind the backdrop and telling you about the process of moving up to number two and then number one and talking about Bryce Young being a point guard. It's that soundbite that I think is the best example of how excited David Tepper got during this offseason, knowing they had a chance to move all the way up to the top of the NFL draft, and he just couldn't help himself. He had to be a part of the process. I wonder, not to say that Randy is you know lying about any of this, I just wonder what he means by saying, I want our owners to push us. I feel like they should be involved. You thought a little bit about that, too, when he said that? Fitting? Yeah, because, I mean, I, I think the thing is, is that, like, yes, you want you want an owner that is a a resource to you. And Dave Tepper should be a great resource because he's the second richest owner in the NFL. But that's where his resource should start, and that's where it should end. I think the biggest thing he, he struggles with, Walker, you're talking about – him crashing the press conference and talking off to the side about how Bryce Young's the point guard is going to is going to distribute the ball. The guy is seeking validation. He's seeking credibility for whatever it is that he wants to be validated and credible for. When in reality, he'll get all the praise he's seeking if he puts together a winning franchise. 
he whatever we like if the Panthers become a winning organization, we're gonna say credit Dave Tepper. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And so I think the biggest issue is that he's so starred for that right now. He's not getting it on the field. He's trying to get it off the field, and in the process, he's screwing both things up. So I don't know how much push from ownership, especially in this instance, you really want with whoever the head coach is going to be. But if we go to the main topic of that answer that Randy Mueller provided, are they going to have a hard time finding the coach that is the right fit for Carolina? Do we think that's a little overblown? Because you know Randy's also discussing, hey, they're not going to have a hard time filling the job. If they have options, you might have a hard time finding the guy that you want, which is ultimately the problem, but you're clearly not going to have a hard time filling this job. I guess my question is, if Kellen Moore really is promoted within the Chargers organization, that's the one that I think most people are viewing as the top vacancy if it were to eventually be a vacancy. Maybe Buffalo happens. Sean McDermott in that squad got a big old win against Kansas City. Maybe it happens in Buffalo. That would certainly rival it. Maybe you want to go with Chicago, the number one overall pick because of Carolina. That might be really valuable to you, trading away Justin Fields and getting more assets. They're in a good position to set themselves up for the future. Chargers are going to be there. So if you can survive Ben Johnson choosing one of those three spots, then maybe he would choose Carolina. Or if you wanted to go after Bobby Slowick and get the guy that is, in part, responsible for some of the success C.J. Stroud is experiencing, the guy you passed up on, in order to select Bryce Young at number one overall, if those guys have a lot of those other options, then maybe they don't choose Carolina in that way. But also, if you get a lot of money, that is going to make you view those other... Well, yeah, I mean, they have a number one overall pick, but David Tepper's given me a million and a half more a year. That million and a half looks pretty good over here in Carolina. You know what? I can make it work with Bryce Young. I just wonder how much money talks when it comes to getting the head coach you really want and being competitive with these other franchises. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it because we, we, you know, we we live here in our insulated bubble in Charlotte. I think they're going to have a hard time finding the the candidate that they want to take the job. And I know every time jobs open up, there's only 32 of them. So, yeah, someone's going to take the job. But right now, the Panthers don't need someone. They need like they like Dave Tepper has to get this right because like you swing and miss your first time that happens you you get it wrong a second time that happens third time in my book that's a trend so if you if you get this wrong for a third time this is a trend and I mean you, you what other organization has current people in the organization telling the guy that's the front runner to get the job and the most desired candidate you don't want to come here. That's not happening anywhere else. And so I do think they're going to struggle getting the name that they want to come and take their job. Do we view this as a tier of guys at the top? Or is it basically Ben Johnson and then maybe Jim Harbaugh, Bobby Slowick, and then everybody else? I wonder if Ben, because we, we keep going back to Ben, Detroit offensive coordinator, who I saw one person on the text line say, yeah, he's starting to lose his luster a little bit with the way they've been struggling. I'll still take Ben Johnson and not think twice about it, but it doesn't have to be one guy. I think that would be setting ourselves up for failure. If you put all of your eggs in the Ben Johnson basket and you end up not bringing him home, he ends up going somewhere else. Then you've already set yourself up for, all right, well, we'll just go with option B and the coach being hired. Yes. He'll be getting a lot of money. Still not going to feel great being option B. And even the message to the fan base, that can be fixed if they win. 
But the message to the fan base right off the bat is, hey, we got our second option. And after all the losing we've done for this long, they're going to want us to get the guy that has been reported time and time again is the top target for David Tepper and us. We actually have a similarity here. David Tepper is doing the thing that the fan base wants him to do for the most part, and that's go after the Lions offensive coordinator. If he does that, then... I don't know if he's going to win a lot of the fans over more, but we'll certainly think that's a step in the right direction. So as we talk about how big of an offseason this is for the Panthers owner, if he doesn't give the people what they want, which is really starting to solely be Ben Johnson, then it's going to have to be the wins and the victories that continue to sway people into, you know what, David Tepper can figure this thing out. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think this job comes down to, there, there are tiers. I think tier one is going to be Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh and Ben Johnson. I think those are going to be the three guys that, that Dave Tepper is going to zero in the most on it. And if, if I'm being honest with you sitting here today, I don't think any of those three take the job. I think a Jim Harbaugh stays in Michigan. I think Bill Belichick has a better chance going to Washington to end his NFL career. And I, I look at Ben Johnson and, and if that chargers job becomes available, how do you say no to that gig? Because you've got an established offense, you, you know, you've got an established quarterback with weapons. It's in LA. Um, it, they're, they're just in a better situation than you are right now. And so I think that's going to be the problem. Is if you swing and miss on those three guys, who do you turn to? Who do you identify as the right guy for the job that can restore your franchise? A to just being competitive, and then B just. You know, bringing some life back to a fan base that right now is as apathetic as it's ever been. So Ben Johnson, there are a couple people saying we don't need him. Ben Johnson hasn't ever coached a game. And so maybe you can move on. But you're right. You went down the list. A couple of other candidates outside of Johnson. You go with Jim Harbaugh. I would welcome Jim Harbaugh, even if it might be frustrating after you know a couple of years. Maybe David Tepper is frustrated after a couple of years of Harbaugh, but you can't argue with that guy having success wherever he's been. The other candidates, especially on the offensive side, Bobby Slowick, as we mentioned, Brian Johnson from Philadelphia is mentioned a decent amount outside of those top three. The offense has taken a step back this year. You've also had a drop in, well, one, their offensive coordinator from the previous season, Shane Steichen, he's gone. So that's going to hurt with some continuity. You also talk about the offensive line, I think, going through some injuries here a little bit. And they're still, look, they only have three losses. I, I'd welcome Brian Johnson. It, it Maybe not as much as some of these other guys, but I'd still be pretty interested. Mike Kafka has been in the cycle the last couple of seasons. It's not a great year for the Giants. Even still, though, Brian Dayball is in this weird type of mold where he's actually winning some games with Tommy DeVito. And I think that's salvaging what was a really disappointing start. So those are some of the other candidates. I, I did want to get to a couple of other sound bites from Randy Mueller here. Randy is on David Tepper's mistakes and where he needs to improve as an owner, as heard on the Kyle Bailey show. I don't know David Tepper. I don't know what he makes him tick. I hear and see a lot of him. I cringe sometimes because the problem is sometimes when you, have the money, you're the boss, you're allowed to do whatever you want, but you're trying to learn a business that others have spent their whole lives, their whole adult life learning, and you're trying to catch up and then advise them. And I've said this from the start with Mr. Tepper is that I'm not sure he's qualified to ask the right questions because the questions I hear don't make any sense. So I think he needs mm -hmm. to learn the game. He needs to learn the business side of it. 
and then pick his spots. He can help in a lot of ways. He can help by questioning certain things, but it's just got to make sense to the guys on the football side. Otherwise, they're going to be more concerned with how he reacts to the answers than the real processes themselves. I don't know if I want him to learn the game anymore because then he's going to feel like he already has more power. Yeah. Uh... Plus, plus, he thinks he knows the game now, I guess. I mean, I would, I would think, unless he just is a control freak, which is true, too, but David Tepper already thinks he knows what's best for the team or else he wouldn't be telling these coaches what to do at every single turn. It does feel very spur of the moment. This is what I think should happen with this squad. So go ahead and carry that out now. Uh, the, the problem has not been the firing of the coaches. It's been the hiring. Yep. Because in a vacuum, he was pretty patient with Ron Rivera. He gave him another shot. And then at the end, once that season started to tail off, the defense, the defense wasn't playing very well. And by the way, he told him he wanted to go to an odd man front. Ron does. And the defense underperforms. But he moves on. He gives Marty Herney another shot. Then eventually he moves on. You don't have a GM and the head coach coming in at the same time, which always is tough to deal with. But then you even give Matt Rule a longer time than what this fan base wanted. You fire him after five games. Frank Reich was the only one that was a real um, short tenure for any of the head coaches that he hired. The hiring's been the issue. It's not been the firing. Now you got to get this thing right. And if the coach that you want doesn't want you back, it's going to make it that much harder. Because now think about it. If you don't get the guy that you want, you settle for option E. He comes in and you continue to lose games. Well, it's like, well, hey, I didn't want him in the first place, but then you still got dysfunction even after that. It's like, well, wait, then why'd you bring him in if you didn't want him in? Like, th- this is going to be the tough stuff that he has to deal with. And so, man, I I hope he's got a board of the top three guys that he wants, and hopefully he can land him because it's going to be rough. It's going to continue to get rough for Tepper in the eyes of the fan base as we continue to lose football games. He may have an out now given to his quarterback getting hurt. If Mike Tomlin becomes available, and we're seeing this name pop up on the text line, he's been in Pittsburgh forever, never – uh, you know, he, I mean, the guy's a consistent winner. He feels like the guy that Carolina needs. Kind of like Ron Rivera feels like a guy that Carolina needs. I just don't know if you can have two franchises in the same city. Oh my God! Rehire a guy that you fired. <laughs> no, it's but but Ron's if, a great guy. No, we cannot bring back Ron Rivera. But if if Tomlin becomes available, I think that would be the telltale sign. Like if if Tomlin gets canned in Pittsburgh. And he'll have his choice of whatever job he wants in the NFL that becomes open. And he says no to David Tepper. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Because you have the relationship. You have, you, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy that is a winner that would command respect, bring credibility, bring stability to the franchise. You know, may, may, maybe they have someone fall in their lap. But I think we need to be prepared for as wild and uneven a coaching search we've seen in Charlotte. Plus, we have the GM to search for, too, if we don't think Scott Fitter is coming back. All right. Yeah. It, what kind of trust do you have in David Tepper? Usually not getting this thing right. Actually, having never gotten this thing right with Carolina. Now he's got to get two things right again this offseason. After going over, we got to get you to two and two. So here's my question. If you're so confident that Scott Fitter is getting fired, why would you not have already done it? Because there's no reason to with timing. I just don't know who else you would go to. At this point, to get a head, to get a uh, 
a head start on whoever the next GM is going to be. Well, I mean, it would give you a chance to really evaluate Dan Morgan if you want to promote him from assistant GM to your permanent GM. But if you're going to clean house, then doesn't that mean Dan Morgan is no longer here? If you're going to really clean house... Or if you're just going to promote within, because Dan Morgan's a part of this scouting department too that has led to the roster buildup. You're right. I mean, I'm not. I'm not arguing that. So, if if okay, if you're Dave Tepper and you're firing Scott Fitter, are you firing Dan Morgan? Yeah, I think you're probably done with everything. And Samir Suleiman gone. Yeah, Samir is interesting, but I yeah, I think you're probably done with everything. And maybe not, but with Scott Fitterer being here, with Dan Morgan, I just don't know what you point to and say, man, the scouting department really did a great job this offseason. Well, what offseason can you point to and say, who, buddy, they were out there and they evaluated extremely well in the NFL draft. And you have the, the thing I always go back to, the saving grace for Scott Fitterer and I guess the scouting department is bringing in Bradley Bozeman last year and Austin Corbett last year. Yep. But now even that's changed. Not to their fault with Austin Corbett's injury, but... Bozeman, based off of their decision to bring in Frank Reich as a head coach, too. Just didn't fit the scheme. He's not fitting the scheme, and he's not. And even last year, he wasn't amazing in pass protection. As a great guy as he is, and also a good run blocker, he just, he, you need your number one overall QB to be able to stay upright. And that's just not what's happening with the lack of interior pass protection. But now that those offensive linemen aren't working, even Icky being a first-round pick and him taking a step back, that was a saving grace. And now that you can't point to that anymore... There's nothing you can point to. We have one more segment to go on Wes and Walker. We'll wrap it up then. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. More at prize picks, the more than, less than projections. Thinking about making this Brandon Miller pick. 22 and a half points plus rebounds plus assists. He might just go for 23 points altogether. That's not even considering the rebounds and the assists. Plus, he's throwing up a lot of shots. He's going to be playing a lot of minutes because of LaMelo's absence. Mark Williams don't know if he's going to come back, and so they're still going to be running their offense through him. Brandon Miller, 22 and a half, all things combined. I'm hitting the more than, Fiddy. What would you do tonight? Uh, oh, yeah, I'd go more than. I wanted to talk about him the other day. I think it was the second to last possession against the Miami game the other night. And when it, when it was it was a one-possession game or whatever, and he was the guy that was initiating the offense for, for Charlotte. And, you know, as a guy that, was, that wanted Scoot Henderson over Brandon Miller, kind of like you were, probably because you were just a, a really – bad influence the other you know while we were going through the draft always a good influence i would say but you know i think i've come around to in the fact that like this i i i think this guy is going to be a really good nba player um you know i know terrence oglesby has lamented his defensive struggles 
it's kind of eye-opening because you've got a, <clears throat> a defensive-minded head coach and Steve Clifford on, on, on the sidelines that's coaching him. But I do think this is going to be a guy that when it's all said and done, we're going to be happy with him being the number two pick for the Hornets. Do you think James Borrego would have him with a defensive rating sitting around 105, or do you think it might be 145 if he was still the head coach? You know, part of me is surprised that it, it took us to Wednesday at 248 to have a little JB Steve Cliff discourse. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think he'd be the defensive player of the year front runner if James Borrego was still here. No, of course he would. Uh, he absolutely would. He'd be better than Wimby. He'd be better than Chet Holmgren. He'd Speaking be taking of home Wimby, rookie of the year award. The Spurs have lost 17 straight games. Yeah, did somebody tell them that they're not tanking for Wimby anymore? Or do they still think that, hey, that 7-4 guy, that's not Wimby. We're still tanking for him. Somebody tell them that they already have Wimby. They don't need to lose any more basketball games. As an NBA junkie, have you been surprised that San Antonio has been this bad after they got the generational talent? Because I never bought into them being a playoff type of team. But I thought 34 wins, 35 wins was within reach for them. Maybe I didn't know their roster top to bottom. I did not see the Spurs being this bad yet again. Not this bad. And Detroit, too. I didn't expect them to have lost 20 straight. You know, Having lost every single game in November, the last game they won, it was against the Charlotte Hornets because, of course. But as Doug has talked about, my co-host on Locked On Hornets, they're on Rufus Watch. 7-59 and 59 is the worst winning percentage ever posted in an NBA season. By your very, very lowly Charlotte Bobcats. But the Detroit Pistons just might mess around and have a worse winning percentage than the Charlotte Bobcats then. And if that's the case, I'll be a happy dude. I don't want to usually celebrate at other people's despair. But if that takes away the title of the worst winning percentage in NBA history from the Bobcats team that went 7-59, and I'll clap for that and not think twice about it. Can I be brutally honest with you? You don't want them to do it because you want the Bobcats to have that no. worst record? When it, in regards to the Pistons, before the, the Hornets played them early on in the year, I did not know that Monty Williams was their head coach. I remember talking about that game, and I was just like, I just don't know if Dwayne Casey's the right guy to to mold all that young talent into a winner in Detroit. Oh, did I not change that? No, <laughs> no, like this was something it? like... Oh, uh, in your head. Gotcha. But like, and then I was like, oh, he wasn't the right guy, which is why Monty Williams is... And I think that's why I'm surprised they're 2-20 and 20 because, man, Monty Williams is a really good basketball coach. And they've got as much as young talent as anybody in the league, and they ain't good. You know what we don't think about? That sometimes coaches aren't good fits for different teams. And it doesn't mean that they're not good coaches. It just means they're not a good fit with where you are as a franchise at that moment. I hope you're prepared for if we're going through another head coaching search here in Charlotte. Which and, we will be. And Monty Williams gets let go from Detroit. That'll be a guy that I will cape for. He's coached the Hornets once before. I so would, he's already qualified for the job. I wouldn't mind it. The only problem with that is if you move on, you'll be in a similar position. I Just having a lot of young players. The problem with Monty Williams right now is that he wasn't playing Asar Thompson, despite him being awesome defensively. Offensively, it's he's got some problems. His jump shot isn't very good, but he's still averaging like 10 points. And he's one of the things that he's doing as a guard is blocking a lot of shots, getting a lot of steals, doing an excellent job on the defensive end. You're also not playing Jaden Ivey in his second year. It's like, man, you got to develop these young players. It's really not about winning right now for you, especially after losing 20 straight. And so I wonder just how how long he lasts with Detroit. But I'm surprised about them and San Antonio. You're right about that. Yeah. 
the Hornets will be in a very similar position. And so if it's going to be something like that, where Monty proved that he wasn't the right guy anywhere close to that spot, then maybe you don't bring him here in Charlotte. But I do expect a lot more changes to happen. This is the last thing I'll say. I was, even with me talking about the Charlotte Hornets as much as I do, still a little surprised to see that they were only one and a half games back of that 10 spot in the play-in tournament. Playoffs? Is this going to be something that is actually a thing where they're contending? Because if Lamelo comes back and you have a couple of these guys come back from injury, they've had awful luck the last two years. Are we going to be right there in contention for a 10 spot? The Hawks being as bad as they've been, surprisingly so. They're the only team I think they'll compete with. The schedule's really hard coming up. They have the West Coast road trip right after Christmas. But I did not expect them to only be a game and a half back of the play-in. Yeah, this is my mindset going into that West Coast trip next week. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Same here. 37 of them, in fact, so I don't have to pay Fiddy lunch money. I know at one in six, I we had the Panthers playoffs conversation. We did, and you brought it up. By and the way. I know I brought it up. This team is seven and fourteen. They've lost to a Piston team that's won two games. I have a play in, not playoffs though. I, play I mean, in. there's hey, a difference. Look, long as they're thirty six and forty six, make the play in, baby. I'm with it. All right, make sure you hang out with us. One more reminder, it'll be me, Walker Mayo, Colin Hoggard, Josh Fiddy Marlowe, Flounder's going to be out there, Shroppy's going to be out there. Plenty of listeners have also texted in that we're going to be all going to Carolina Ale House, Waverly location, to watch the Charlotte Hornets take on the Miami Heat. Tip is at 7.30. That's when the watch party starts. So go to the Carolina Ale House, Waverly location, 7404 Waverly Walk Avenue, right here in Charlotte. The WFNZ Michelob Ultra Watch Party tonight at 7.30, Carolina Ale House, Waverly location. We hope to see you there. Keep it right here for the Kyle Bailey Show. Alongside Smoke Ludwig, you're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.